Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for the change you've given us to gather in your name. I ask that you bless us now as we lift you up in our prayers and as we discuss uh, this model prayer that Jesus gave us, the example that we have to follow and how it is you want us to pray to you and pray out to you and cry out to you, Lord. So Father, tonight as we look at confession and how we can confess our sins to you, help us know that we don't need a mediator anymore. We don't need a priest. We have you. And, and we have a relationship with you, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you that involves us being able to communicate with you openly without anyone else in, the, in between. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you in your wonderful name. Amen. So Sunday evenings, we've been making our way through uh, the kind of follow-up sermons uh, in the Lord's Prayer. So Sunday mornings, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Those of you who've been in Sunday school know this. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school's uh, unit title has been, uh, it says right there, How to Pray. And then this week, we're looking at a, we've looked and talked about um, the title of the sermon, the message this morning was a prayer of confession. And we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, which says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We talked about the importance of confessing our sins to God. And tonight we're going to continue on that thought by focusing on what happens if we confess our sins to God. So that's really where I'm going to focus on today. So the title of my sermon this evening is Going to Confession. Going to Confession. I grew up in a Catholic area. I did not grow up as a, as a Roman Catholic. So I don't understand what it means to go to confession. Never did that. I don't know if any of you guys have. But we don't need, and we don't need the mediator anymore. We don't need the priest for, in order for us to confess to God. We can go and do that one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Here's an interesting illustration to begin things off with. Persian King Frederick the Great from the 1700s was once touring, touring a Berlin prison. The prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence, except one man who remained silent. Frederick called to him, Why are you here? Robber, armed robbery, your majesty, was the reply. Are you guilty? Yes, indeed, your majesty. I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, Release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. <laughs> confessing, um, confessing when we did something wrong is usually good for us. I, I, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, right? So frequently, we hold things in for so long and we feel that, that overwhelming guilt and just letting it out is a release. We feel good. Sometimes the person we're confessing to doesn't feel as good, but we feel relieved because we've let it loose, right? Of course, coming clean to God is probably one of the most rewarding forms of confessing anyone can do, right? There's not much more, uh, not, 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 no better individual to confess what we have going on in our lives to than the Lord in heaven. And of course, we don't need a priest, like I already said. God has an open-door policy with you. You don't need to wait in line at the confessional. You can just talk to him out loud and cry out to him whenever you're in need, whenever you're in that spot, and you can confess your sins to the Lord. But I do have one question. The question came up this morning, and it was something that I've always dwelt upon, right? So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, if, you confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But my question was this, and just like it's in the Lord's Prayer, this, this text was written to Christian people. We've already been saved. I always say Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. If Jesus has already forgiven us of our sins, why do we need to confess to him? Why do we confess to God if we've already been forgiven? And that's kind of the question I want to address tonight. Why confess our sins to God if he has already 
forgiven us of all the sins we've committed through Jesus Christ. What is the benefit of us as Christians confessing our sins to God? Uh, like I said, Romans, not Romans, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is my text this evening. Once again, it says, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's start off by breaking down this text, the beginning of it. First of all, the first word in this text, as well as if you looked at 1 John verses 5, 6, I think it starts at 5, either 6 or 5, all the conditional statements, they all start with the word if. Very important word to the Gospel of John, not the Gospel, this epistle that John wrote, the beginning of, of his epistle, his letter to the church. They all begin with if. If is a conditional conjunction. It is conditioned on something else. Meaning, if you want this to happen, again, if you want this to take place, you need to first do this. I mean, so that you can think of all these statements that that is true. I mean, a bad example, if I wanted to win the lottery, I first should play the lottery. Right? I, you know, they, they had these the mega millions where someone won a billion dollars, whatever. I would love to win a billion dollars, but I, I, I'm too cheap to go buy a lottery ticket. So obviously that's not going to happen. You know, if I want my car to last a long period of time, I, I need to take care of my car. So for my car to last a long period of time, the condition is taking care of the car in the first place. In this case, John begins by saying, if we confess our sins. So that's part A of this conditional conjunction, this conditional statement. The first part is confessing our sins, if we confess our sins. Um, confess means to acknowledge a wrong committed, to profess it openly, to say it out loud, to acknowledge that you have committed a, uh, committed a sin in the eyes of God in this, in this context. Yes, God already knows the sins that we have committed, but openly admitting them to him, um, opening, openingly, opening, oh, I can't speak, Openly committing or admitting to him what we have done wrong is part of the process that will draw us near, nearer to God. You will become closer to the Lord by confessing your sins. So if we confess our sins, again, part A, God is faithful and righteous to do two things, which are going to be my two points tonight, uh, in, in uh, kind of as the benefit, the result, the, the consequence, if you want to say it that way, of confessing our sins. But let's start off by looking at these two words. Uh, in this, in the text, John describes God as faithful and righteous. We sing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, for a reason. God is faithful, meaning God can be trusted. Uh, you think about people that you would describe as faithful. We Oftentimes you hear the word faithful, and it, and it comes from a, a marital situation, where once the spouse is faithful to their, their, their other spouse, you know, the husband or the wife is faithful to their husband or the wife. In, in, in this context, God is faithful to us. We can rely on God. We don't need to be concerned that God is going to change something. He's not going to change. Remember, he's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Um, this, is the, this is really an attribute of God, something that we can take to the bank. If there's nothing else you can hold on to, remember this. God is faithful. You can trust God. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is also righteous. Uh, righteous means it could also be translated just. A lot of your Bibles probably translated it just. So God is right or God is just. God is perfect and holy. I mean, the idea of righteousness from a human perspective is us striving towards holiness. You want to be righteous. The reality is you will never be righteous until you're in heaven, at which point you live in a righteous state. Until that point, our, our lives are a constant pursuit of righteousness. God is righteous. He is in heaven. 
There is no unrighteousness in him. There is no sinfulness in him. Our sins pollute us, cause us not to be righteous. God, on the other hand, is 100% righteous. He's, he's 100% just and perfect and holy. Christians, again, are in a constant pursuit of God's righteousness or holiness. So because of God's faithfulness and righteousness, along with our confession, the confession of our sins, God will accomplish two things in our lives. So if we confess our sins, then God will do these two things. The result of God's faithfulness and righteousness towards us are dependent upon us confessing our sins. So two points, they're very simple, they're right in the text. If we confess our sins to God, he will, one, forgive us our sins. One, forgive us of our sins. Look back at the, the, the text again, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 9. Let me turn there in the first place. I should have turned there already. The whole text again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to forgive us our sins. If you remember a couple Sunday mornings ago, we talked about how Jesus forgave the sins of the woman in Simon the Pharisee's house. The description of the belief was that she was a woman of the street, a prostitute that came in and, and she decided to clean Jesus' feet, essentially. She was crying, the tears hit Jesus' feet, she wiped those tears off with her hair and then poured an expensive bottle of perfume upon his feet to clean them, to, to cleanse them. Jesus, at the end of everything, to make a long story short, said, your sins are forgiven. And I told you that to forgive sins, the idea of forgiveness is to literally send them away. If you're forgiving someone, you're sending them away. So really the term in Greek could be used from other perspectives as well. It could be used from a perspective of a ruler sending somebody away elsewhere, you know, just re referring them to go to another room. You can leave me. Like sometimes the kids do this to us. Like Tab and I get a little overwhelmed. Well, you know, you need to go to the living room for now because we're about to lose our minds. And, and, and that's kind of the concept here. What, what John is saying is that the forgiveness that God gives us is sending away our sins. Our sins are, are gone. They're pushed away. They're in another room. They're no longer in our presence, which is awfully encouraging in my perspective. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and righteous to send away our sins as well. And that's the concept. That's the first half of the result of confessing our sins. Now, remember, John is writing to a group of Christian people. This is something I've always, I remember learning this in seminary. It never made sense at the time, but now, not at the time, but it made sense, it never made sense before. John isn't writing to non-believers. He's writing to believers. And, and to some level, the Lord's Prayer isn't written to non-believers either. Obviously, believing in, in you know, Christians and non-Christians didn't exist yet. Jesus is talking to his followers. But the application is so true. He's talking to people who are following him and teaching them how to pray to him. So the confessing that they are, they are partaking in, is it's not a confession of asking for the forgiveness of your sins in order to be saved. This is a different type of confession. So John's readers are hearing this, and the reality is their sins have already been forgiven. Their sins were forgiven when Jesus died for them on the cross. He paid the penalty. Again, their sins have already been sent away. Thus, when a Christian confesses their sins to God, what they are really doing is remembering what he has already done for you. Right? You've already been forgiven. So it's almost the opposite direction, right? You know, usually someone has to confess their sins, and then they are forgiven. In this context, Jesus has already forgiven us, and now he's asking us to confess our sins, even though we might not have to. Like, you know, is the point. Other than the fact that he told us to, we, we don't necessarily, like in our logic, we don't necessarily have to 
confess our sins. And we've already been forgiven. You've already been freed of the crime, right? If you go to court and the court, the judge says you're not held accountable for anything, you don't have to say that you did nothing, right? You don't need to make a statement for yourself. You don't need to call witnesses. You've been forgiven. You've been pardoned of your crime. You, the, the charges have been dropped. And the same is true here. Well, why would we confess our sins if we've already been forgiven? But the idea, again, is that as a Christian, we are able to confess those sins and get them off our shoulders out of trust for God. God has already forgiven us. He's already loved on us. He's already died for us. He is a faithful and righteous God. The least we can do is come to him in a state of confession and say, God, here they are. This is what I've done. Help me through them. Help me fight them. As the prayer again said, you know, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgiveness there is really half the, half the fight. You know, you can ask for forgiveness, but then there's also the temptation part, right? You only need forgiveness if you fall to temptation. The goal is to fight off temptation. And of course, that process, like I said, with James chapter chapter 1, it's a constant process of stumbling. You know, we, we, we just constantly spin through this. Sometimes we succeed, other times we don't. In the end of it, we're always growing closer to God. Let's take a couple, let's take a side trip here. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 down to verse 11. And keep your finger in John 1, or 1 John. We're going to return there in a moment. But Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verse 6 to 11. So uh, Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. See, that ending part is important. Verse 8 is powerful, right? But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I always like to say that that verse is telling us that the salvation that we receive, that Jesus' death on the cross to forgive us of our sins, didn't take place before we ever started sinning, didn't take place in the midst of our sins. Like We didn't need to stop sinning in order for us to be saved. He did it in the midst of our sins. Like, kind of in the face of what we've done in his face. Like, the, in the face of the sinful behaviors we're partaking in, Jesus still died for us. And, and, you know, some of us might have done worse things than others. In the end of it, probably none of us here are as bad as we could be. Yet, nonetheless, the blood of Jesus was washed all over us as well. And we are forgiven of those sins in such a powerful way. Oh, I messed it up. What happened to it? should just print it. So every week it's the same thing with this thing. And Thursday too, I'm like messing with the screen because every time I touch it, it goes nuts. But So when you miss the mark and you commit a sin, turn your life over to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Confess what you have done knowing that he's already forgiven you. Why? Because you've already been forgiven of your sins by his own blood. He's already forgiven you by his own blood, which he shed for you upon the cross. Praise God. So again, if we confess our sins to God, he will first of all forgive us of our sins. And now the second part of this, I think, is even more powerful. He will also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to cleanse means to wash away dirtiness. 
You know, if I was going to cleanse something, like an example, I don't know why this came to my mind, uh, dishes in the dishwasher, Tabitha needs to be reminded sometimes you really need to rinse those dishes before you put them in. It don't make a lot of sense, but the other day I, I go in, I look in the dishwasher, there's literally a half a pancake in the bottom of the dishwasher. I'm like, obviously someone's not rinsing the plates first. They need to be rinsed off just a little bit, then the dishwasher will finish that cleansing process. We have that junk all over us. We don't need to be rinsed first. Jesus just washed it all free with his blood. We've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Jesus went to the cross for that purpose. He forgave you because even, you know, he forgave you before you even realized you needed forgiveness. I mean, you kind of think about that significance, right? While you were still living in your ignorance, before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he had already forgiven you. It was all up to you at that point. You had to make that acceptance. You had to embrace salvation. Thus, your salvation is a complete salvation that does not skip any of your sins, right? So the idea that we have to confess our sins, you think about that process, it's almost like the Israelites out in the wilderness or out with the, after the temple kind of thing, they had to make those sacrifices almost for every sin they committed. If they missed one day, those sins weren't, weren't atoned for. Jesus, if, we only, if all we can do is confess our sins to him, that means only the sins we confessed in the hypothetical situation are forgiven, but then the second half of this verse kind of covers everything else. Because there's a whole lot of sins we probably forgot to ask, ask for forgiveness for or forgot to confess about. Those things have been washed clean by the blood that he shed. Because all of our unrighteousness has been washed away. Remember, God is righteous. We are not righteous. Even in our best state, we are still unrighteous. Yet through the blood of Jesus, we could be made righteous. Maybe not while we're on this earth, but because of that blood shed for us, we can one day enter the gates of heaven and know that we are free from the burdens of our sins because we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Psalm 51, verse 7, we, we read it earlier in our text. Um, Steve read it a little bit before we read it this morning. It says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And then finally, um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 to 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, or 15 to 21. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. <coughs> Verse 17. But he or he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then verse 18 down to the end is really the key here. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is in the beginning, or he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You think about what that just said, that uh, verse 20, ha you know, having made peace through the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross. The idea that death brings peace is almost illogical, right? I mean, so frequently what I mean, and I'm not, I don't really care as much about the death penalty and stuff, but you get these people who um, want, like, they think they're going to get closure over, over something that took place in their lives because the person's going to be put to death. And in reality, that's not where peace comes from. 
And, and the idea, and from our perspective, is that uh, death isn't going to suddenly make us make us uh, realize that we have peace in our lives. It's only through a relationship with Christ. But what I'm kind of getting at here is how the death that Jesus gave us on the cross is almost illogical. That's not how peace gets into the world. If you ever watch the Passion of the Christ, you're not feeling there's not a very peaceful scene when he's being nailed to the cross. It's not a peaceful thing at all. Yet somehow through that experience, through his death on the cross, we can receive peace. Because through the blood that he shed, we can look up to heaven and recognize the fact that we are freed from our sins. Because the, the, the only only direction, only place that, that unrest and, and a lack of peace comes into our life is when we have our sins burdened upon our shoulders. When we are carrying our own loads and when we are carrying our own, our own um, concerns and the different things we're facing in this life, it is those things that cause unrest in our life. But when we give them over to the Lord, um, first in the initial stage of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but also as Christians in confessing to God and saying, God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the salvation you poured upon me. It's when we give that over to God that everything else kind of lines up. So let me close with this. If you've already known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is a powerful reminder of what Jesus has already done for you. Since Christ has already set you free from all your past, present, and future sins, the least we can do is acknowledge our sinful behaviors and confess them to him in a state of complete humility, saying, God, they're yours. I made mistakes, but I thank you for the salvation you gave me. If you've yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, so maybe those that are close to you, those you care about, those individuals who don't know Jesus, I think 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is the perfect picture of what Jesus could do in their lives. If we give all of our life to Jesus today, meaning we admit to him that we are sinners and in need of salvation, believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and rose from the grave so we can go to heaven when we die, and confess that belief outwardly through our words, our actions, and our preaching, then we will be saved bottom line then our friends would be saved that's the gospel message i told you that we need to preach this morning we need to tell everyone about christ we need to tell everyone about salvation because if we don't do it no one else will but in the end of it if we confess our sins to him we will know that we have true peace in our lives without doing it when we hold them into ourselves when we hold those burdens into ourselves and hold them in our own gut all we're going to have is that sense of unrest if you really want rest in your life confess your sins to god let me close in prayer Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for all that you've done for us. I ask that you just help us remember you now in all that you do and all that we have going on. Help us trust in you no matter what and help us know that you love us so greatly. I thank you, Father, for Jesus and the salvation he gave us and dying on the cross and shedding his blood. But also, Lord, most importantly, for rising from the grave so that we can one day enter your gates and enter the gates of heaven. So, Lord, I thank you and I praise you in your wonderful name. Amen.